Welcome to Foragers Radio. Join me, your host, Neil Tenye, as we explore the natural world. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Foragers Radio. Before we get started here, I just want to share with you that Foragers Radio is brought to you by our parent company, Foragers Kingdom, the world's most sustainable mushroom extracts. And I also just want to ask you if you can imagine yourself waking up every morning feeling refreshed and rejuvenated because you just had the best sleep ever. Well, that's one reason people use medicinal mushroom extracts. So if you're intrigued and want to feel some of those benefits, you can go ahead and check us out at foragerskingdom.com. You'll be able to see all the medicinal mushrooms we have to offer, and you'll have peace of mind that all were created with the highest potency and lowest carbon footprint. And you can use coupon code RADIO15 for 15% off your order. Alrighty, so today's guest is Devin Hilty from Mind Over Mycology. And I was really excited to have Devin come on the show because we actually met in person. And within a few seconds of opening conversation, we started hitting it hard in the realm of mushrooms. Just chatting about foraging, greater mycology, taxonomy, and um, a lot of the photography work that he does with uh, wild mushrooms. So this episode is really cool because I think Devin embodies really something that resonates with me and I think so many people in general is is that I consider him a great citizens mycologist. And he's someone who, like many, like I said, don't have formal training in schools or institutions, but they're just so enamored by the world of fungi that they go out and they self-train, right? Um, they're going to YouTube, they're going to books, they're going to scientific research that you can find online through other experts, and they're just trying to fill their brains and their souls with everything that they can in the world of fungi. Um, I've been there, and I know many of you have as well, but that's what I love most about my conversation with Devin is we really get to uh, show that. And um, Devin shares some really amazing stories about mushrooms he stumbled upon by chance, people calling him up and saying, hey, you got to come check this out. And two, um, his photography work, which I think is totally incredible. Um, you'll have to go to his Instagram page, which is at mindovermycology, to, to see what I'm talking about. Alrighty, well, I don't want to give too much away here. This is a really fun and easy listen, and uh, the work that Devin's doing is really impressive. So without further ado, here is Devin Hilty from Mind Over Mycology. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Foragers Radio. I'm here today with Devin Hilty of from Mind Over Mycology. Devin, how's it going today, man? I'm doing good. How are you? Good, good. Um, so yeah, as soon as we kind of got on the Zoom call together, um, I really wanted to know how your mushroom foraging season was going because we're both in the Pennsylvania area. I'm northeastern, you're central. So we've been getting tons and tons and tons of rain. Like it's it's almost every day, right? Twice a day. Yeah. Um, lots of overcast, little breaks of sun. Can't complain. Um, but yeah, what have you been finding out in the woods? Everything. There's a lot of cordyceps coming up right now. I just found a couple uh, cordyceps militaris. Um, 
a bunch of lactarius. There's bullets coming up everywhere. The rain has just been so good to us, man. We're very fortunate this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. Um, I think around like um, Ju- mid-June is usually when I'll start like ch- checking chanterelle spots, you know? Nice. And it was just like, I felt like we had a big drought last year. So this year it was still kind of dry. We hadn't gotten the rains yet. Mm-hmm. So I was just kind of like shaking my head like, oh man, you know, like nothing's going to be like that forage from like two years ago when it just rained every day. And yeah, all my spots were dry. There's nothing going on. I was like, oh man. And then all of a sudden we start getting all this rain nonstop, just all the time. And then finally, last Friday, I I got a chance to go out and check my spots. And it was like, oh, man, like complete opposite. It was just like all these chanterelle spots I had were just like they produced the most I've ever found in the past like five years. I was just like, wow. Nice. Uh, so, yeah, we had the golden smooth chanterelle and pink chanterelles. And yeah, t- tons of oyster. Oh, my God. Oh, like awesome. any dead ash tree in the vicinity was just covered. Like, you know, you could feed a, a family of <laughs> you could feed a group of 30 people with this one tree. It was crazy. Yes. Um, and yeah, I found a lot of old man of the woods, um, but sadly, not too many black trumpets. I found a couple of patches that were kind of uh, rotten. So I'm mm-hmm. guessing I'm hoping there's going to be another flush coming up soon. So uh, maybe tomorrow I'll go out and check my spots. There you go. Yeah, yeah. it's been absolutely ridiculous. And. It's funny that you say that to be uh, you could feed a family off of that one tree. I was just talking to my one friend about that. The amount of mushrooms that are out there, especially right now that are growing, that you could feed people with is just astounding. And nobody there's not a lot of people that are into this like you and I are. And I really think that that's a disconnect that we should try to you know mend. Yeah. And hopefully we're doing that with this podcast episode right now. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, there's uh, there's so many things I want to ask you today, and there's so many things that just came to mind. But before we go down the deep rabbit hole that is <laughs> mushroom foraging and mycology, um, I wanted to kind of let people know kind of uh, where your expertise comes from and what you're working on these days. So I know right. you have an Instagram account called Mind Over Mycology. Curious how you got the name and what you're uh, trying to do with it. So I guess I started foraging. Um with friends and family when I was like 14 or 15. And, you know, it always starts with a friend of a friend saying, Hey, have you ever looked for morels? So then you're all over the hillsides in the valleys looking for morels getting covered in ticks. But I think that's how it got started as, you know, a lot of people in this area probably do get started when it comes to the uh, rabbit hole that is mycology. So from there I went to learning about like the more medicinal side of things and went down that hole for a while. And now I'm on to the point where I want to know what everything is, you know, everything that I see out there, what name does that have? I need to know all the taxa and I want to try to stay up to date and it's really maddening, but that's where I'm at now. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, how'd you get the name mind over mycology? Um, I think I was just, I was doing so much with the mushrooms and trying to take photographs on my phone. And then I started to look into getting a better camera and I got a better camera and I was like, wow, I need to put these somewhere. So I decided to start an Instagram and I was just trying to think of names that, you know, kind of were easy to say or something that would be easy to remember. And I was thinking, uh, mind over matter, why not mind over mycology? So that's all that. That's how that came to be, you know? Nice, nice. 
yeah, I, I sometimes I get really overwhelmed with learning all the names and the taxonomy side of everything. So I always sometimes I'll just like give mushrooms my own name, you know, oh, okay. like old man of the woods. I call it gothic mushroom because <laughs> it's all black <laughs> or before. Yeah, yeah before, I would start seeing it everywhere. And uh, before I was able to identify, I was like, oh, it's that gothic mushroom, that gothic mushroom. So, <laughs> um, yeah, but it seems yeah, it seems um you know, with the videos and, and photos you're putting out, it seems like you have the, the taxonomy down to a T. Um, Thank you. Curious, um, what what sources do you use to identify things? Are you primarily using books or like Facebook groups or Reddits? Just curious. Um, so, I, yeah, I got a huge collection of books and I have a, a lot of older books because I like to keep track of how uh, the taxonomy changes throughout the year. I think that through the years, I think that's uh, really interesting how things can jump genera from one month to the next, it seems like sometimes, or a year to the next. Um, so yeah, I always start with books. And if I can't find it in my book, then I'll go to either uh, one of the identification forums on Facebook, or Quebec is a good online resource. Um, Mushroom Expert is another good online resource. Um, those are my main ones that I'll be able to kind of find it on one if I can't find it on the other or if I do find it on both then I can compare and contrast and see if what I have is the species or at least the the genus that I'm looking for cool yeah yeah so so question about that um so why I mean this is I don't know how to phrase this question correctly but it's not so easy to just simply identify a mushroom a lot goes into it right um you know, it, it's not a matter of just like, oh, comparing pictures in a book, you know, sometimes you have to get a spore print or you have to yep. cut it open. Just kind of curious. Yeah. Like, what's your process in identifying um, mushrooms or like, how do you kind of come to the conclusion? OK, this this is the mushroom that I've been looking for, you know, throughout the books and the and the groups and such. So I guess it all depends if. If I'm going out and I'm searching for something specifically, then I'll learn maybe some of the uh, diagnostics that'll fit a mushroom into a certain genus so I can identify it by genus first and then go to species from there. I think, um, and you can do a lot of that by just visual um, characteristics of the mushroom. Uh, so like Ganoderma, shiny skin, um, Slatosibi, uh, um, they have sloping gills, stuff like that, you know, um, kind of like key characteristics to a genus. And then I go to species from there. Yeah, very cool. Um, yeah, I uh, locally in the Poconos area, I do teach some like foraging classes. And first of all, I always joke when I'm trying to teach people how to identify mushrooms. I'm like, just take a picture of the top, take a picture of the bottom, upload it to this Facebook group because there's people all over the world that all they do is they sit behind their desk waiting for someone to post a picture of a mushroom so they can identify it. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Yeah. Like <clears throat> a lot of those Facebook groups, it's like you upload something and within 10 minutes, there's a hundred responses. Oh, it's this, mm -hmm. this, this, um, but 90% of the posts are like, is this chicken of the woods? <laughs> yeah. And it's amazing. The amount of people that are, are brave enough to post a wrong identification online because I have to like triple check myself before I post an Instagram post with an identification. But these mm -hmm. guys on those forums, they're just all over it. And a lot of people are just, you know, fearless when it comes to that. I don't know how they can be. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. It's yeah. Beware double, double right? 
cross-reference between forum groups and books and, and absolutely yeah or uh, at least wait for an admin or somebody you know a name that you recognize <laughs> totally totally um yeah so i have to say um i spent a lot of time on your instagram page and just really admired um the the mushroom photography that you've been putting out first question about it um are you a trained photographer i am not professionally trained at all so well you everything i learn is off online wow wow thank um, you <laughs> yeah i i really struggle with the photography even though i went i kind of had to like take a bunch of photography classes in college but there's just too many settings on the camera i don't know sometimes i get lucky and just do like the point and shoot but um oh, yeah. But yeah, um, yeah, a lot of the photos, I, I mean, yeah, you fooled me. I mean, it looks so professional and, um, you know, you could really tell the detail that goes into these photos. I'm sure you have like a a, um, a bunch of different lenses and, and things that you use to kind of to kind of capture it. Um, yeah, absolutely. And and one of the most impressive things that I saw in there was that um, you had like a little stick with some slime mold from your garden. Yeah. Right? Ringing a bell. Yeah. yeah can you kind of tell the story behind that? Um, because somehow you blew it up and like the image, the images are unreal. I'm just like, wow. <laughs> uh, thank you. Um, so that it was actually a piece of hay and those were from uh, some hay bales in my garden that my daughter and I inoculated with oyster spawn earlier in the year. And uh, we did get some oysters from it, but we noticed the one day we went to check them that the one side was covered in that slime mold. So you know, obviously I was like, I have to get a picture of this. So I brought it um, inside in this room and I have uh, like little clips to hold the stick still so I can get a good photo of it. That's pretty static. Um, and what I do is I, I have a hundred millimeter macro lens. It's like my main, my go-to lens. Um, and then I have a kind of like a magnifying glass that just kind of clips onto the end of it. Um, it's by a company called Raynox. And um it just helps you get a little bit closer to your subject. Um, and I did, I think that one was maybe like a 20 or 30 photo stack so I can get coverage, uh, like tack sharp coverage from the top to the bottom of the subject. So that's how I get those sharp images with uh, small subjects. Well, so just so I understand, you like take 30 photos of it and like put yes. it together? Yeah, so what I do is I focus as close as my lens will go and then I'll move my camera physically to where the closest portion of my subject is sharp and sharp focus to me and then what I'll do is I'll start there and then I'll focus a little bit past that point on the subject and then I'll go from there until I'm focused the whole way through the subject and then what I do is I'll take those photos and I'll load them into a stack on Photoshop and then I'm able to stack from the front to the back, all on Photoshop, and it blends them together for me. Oh, wow. Cool. I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, a lot of people use uh, like Helicon Focus. There's a couple different uh, different programs, but I had Photoshop from before. Uh, my girlfriend uses it. So I'm like, well, we got to figure out how to stack on Photoshop. And there's definitely a way. It may not be as good or as efficient as like Helicon, but it does the trick for me for now. Wow. Yeah. yeah, really cool. I mean, yeah, it almost looks like it's computer generated, like the little pieces of fungi on there, you know? Yeah, it's it's really cool how you can blow them up. It's almost like looking through um, a microscope. Yeah, wow. Um, yeah, so crazy. Um, and two, so like slime mold, I mean, so 
isn't there saying it's like all mushrooms are fungi but not all fungi are mushrooms um yeah i i guess you could say that uh <laughs> slime molds are are protists so i mean they i think they used to be classified uh fungi right oh right 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 yeah that's crazy yeah um so they're not even part of the fungi family but they as far as i know um they're not in the the same uh kingdom anymore oh wow yeah i do i do remember hearing that um but yeah so it's I so crazy. a lot of people like, keep them as pets now it's pretty wild <laughs> oh really oh, eat them God. bread you know what i'm saying it's cool <laughs> that's so cool um cool yeah switching gears a little bit um yeah when we were talking a little bit about um the forging before um and yeah we we're talking about all the rain and it's it's so funny how like you know rain is the majority factor that like makes mushrooms start to come out but like even during a drought all the meanwhile underneath is the mycelium still living um so i was wondering you know i've hear i've heard a lot of people a lot of different citizen mycologists kind of like talk about mycelium as this like living being this mushroom internet that exists in the forest we're just kind of curious what what was your take on mycelium what do you think about it has it made a lasting impression on your life and have you ever gotten to photograph it um yeah i I do have uh, a couple pictures um of mycelium on my instagram and um i don't know it's just it's amazing to think of every step you take is the majority is is fungal is fungal material it's amazing um yeah, definitely had an impression on my life. I don't think I'd be able to uh, do what I do if I if it wasn't for the mycelium that produced the fruiting bodies, you know? Totally. Um, yeah, that, that's like another thing too I try to teach like in, in classes that I do. And um, I think that's the most like mind-blowing thing that people kind of realize is that like, you know, I, you know, it's like the forest is interconnected. And like, I was kind of related to... Um, the environment that like us humans live in right us mm-hmm. us modern humans we live in a state of like hyper competition 24 7 right you're always competing for the best job for the you're always competing for your lane on the highway you're always competing for all the food that's in the grocery store right everything's you know this competition generated by by income and money and, and stuff like that right we forget to how to like work together but um some people just assume like the forest is the same way Mm-hmm. but it's actually that nature grows in cooperation and you yeah. can like dissect that in so many different ways. And I think that people, people's minds are always blown. And I always try to say, yeah, like, you know, learning about mushroom foraging, learning about mycelium, learning about, you know, plants, whatever, it kind of can refresh your perspective about life, maybe Absolutely. even help you in your mo- in the modern world. Right. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, while we were talking about that, I was, I was thinking about that and, and I, I always think that's really amazing. And um, yeah, I would kind of like to pick your brain a little bit more about um, kind of your foraging experiences, um, you know, not not just this year with all the good rains, but just in general, like, um, you know, uh, do you primarily forage because you want to eat good mushrooms or do you make any like medicinal tinctures or anything like that? Kind of what's your relationship to it? I want to say something about how how you were talking about how everything is connected and everything is kind of working in this symbiotic relationship. And I think that how you were saying us, like in this human experience that we're, we have going on right now, we're so focused, like almost hyper-focused on what we are. And we kind of take ourselves 
out of that position. And I think that's a huge problem. Um, we're so disconnected in that way. Um, I think that's something we really need to, uh, to work on as a, as a human or as a species, really, uh, the whole, the whole, um, production for, for money and how it might, like everywhere you look in the woods, there's something getting something from somebody else or something else for, for maybe an exchange of nutrients, um, mushrooms that parasitize other mushrooms, plants that parasitize mushrooms or trees, everything's working together. And I think we're just, we're left out of that system and it's, it's a, a big hindrance on us. Yeah. 100%. Um, I've, um, yeah, within the past decade, you know, yeah, maybe 10 years ago, I was just going to like the Catskill mountains with a friend and we stayed in like a shared Airbnb in, in someone's house around like Hunter, New York. And, um, really cool experience. Me and the, the guy who owned the Airbnb, he, he studied a lot with like native Americans, um, from the area. Nice. And me and him just like ended up staying up all night just talking about like yeah nature and like being connected to life and universe and and, yeah. and whatnot. Um, but uh, he he told me to, he he gave me a book. It was called Native New Yorkers, okay. and um, it's kind of a funny play on words because like, I mean, me and my whole family were from New York City, you know, one of the five boroughs. So, you know, mm-hmm. we we constantly refer to ourselves as like oh yeah I'm a native New Yorker, but you know the, the actual native new yorker you know were the 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 lenape native americans right and the book kind of explained about how unknowingly we still live today in that area with um with their influence right like a lot of yeah. like a good example is like um when you're going from new jersey to new york and you go over the verrazano bridge it's like well why do they build it there it was like well that's the shortest point um between new jersey and manhattan and that route was the native what the native americans used to canoe over right they're not going to go you know the biggest distance and such yeah that's just one example of like hundreds um but um yeah kind of what you're saying about how you know there's nutrients to share those all those things to share i know i'm going on a big tangent here but um <laughs> my point my point was is that like in studying um some, some of the native people that lived on this land you know you kind of see yeah yeah that they too lived in cooperation and yeah. you know not not to romanticize their life i mean they had issues and conflicts too just like you know every every society does but their their primary primary values were egalitarian you know it was like you lived in a with a group of people that no one was really really anonymous to the other it's like you one big family and you were constantly pooling things together so you know we used to live like mushrooms or nature but we got we kind of got lost in the way so what do we do i don't know (laughs) We're, we're, too, we're too zoomed in. I think people really struggle with taking a, a bigger or stepping back and taking a look at the big picture, like for real. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, yeah. So um, the some of the mushrooms that you find, do you like to cook up edible mushrooms or do you yeah. do you focus on the medicinal mushrooms? Kind of what do you what do you do there? So um, I don't think I ever focus on going out and looking for just something I can eat. I really like to try to find um, small obscure mushrooms that maybe people will just walk over and then try to identify them. That's where I'm at. Uh, but I won't pass over some chicken of the woods or oysters either. <laughs> you know, they'll go in the basket if I see them for sure. But, um, yeah, we're definitely, you know, moving on from just focusing on foraging specifically to try to, um, 
contribute to citizen science in some way. So, and that right now for me is um, participating in this year's uh, Continental MycoBlitz. So I've been out collecting um, the past couple of days for the MycoBlitz. I'm pretty excited about that. I didn't get to participate last year, but I'm doing it this year. Cool. Yeah. Can you um, explain for everyone what the MycoBlitz is? So the MycoBlitz is kind of an effort to, I think it says to document all the continents macro fungi. So, um, and that's not everything, not just everything that they already know, because there are a lot of mushrooms that can look almost identical that can be different through DNA. So um, right now, I think they're focusing on uh, Remaria species or uh, Clavaria. So I've been getting a lot of different coral mushrooms dried and sent into them. I have some really cool ones called uh, Clavulinopsis appalachiensis that I guess we don't know if they're rare and or maybe people just mistake them for something else and maybe just walk over them. So I have a collection of those descendants. So I'll be interested to see if anybody else on the East Coast has sent those in. Um, yeah. So what they do after you send them in is they'll uh, sequence their DNA or do the DNA barcoding on them. And then um, it goes into a project on INAT and you can go onto the project and look at all the mushrooms there. Wow. Cool. So, so basically they're just trying to build like a database and understand yes. like all the species um, in, uh, in North America or is it the world? Uh, yes. North America. Very cool. So there's like a, a West coast. They did the West coast earlier in the year. They're doing the summer one right now, which is continental. And I believe the fall one is continental too, but I'm not sure. So there's, it takes part or it happens three times a year. Very cool. Yeah. Um, cool. You meant... I'm sorry. sorry. <laughs> I said this is the second annual. So. Oh, very cool. So it's yeah. uh, brand spanking new. Yeah, relatively new. Wow. Cool. I'll have to yeah put a link link to that in the in the show notes for people to check out. Definitely. I think it's uh, mycoda.com. Mycoda. Yeah. Cool. I'll write that down. Um, cool. You mentioned uh, the Clavinopsis mushroom. Those are the cool little pointy fingers coming out of the ground, right? Yeah. Yep. There's uh, orange ones. These The Appalachiensis is kind of different. Um, it's orange at the very base of the stipe, but as it goes up, it turns this like really pale pink peachy kind of color. So it's it's definitely one that I, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, that's just another species of the orange Clavulinopsis, but it's just fading because it's old. But then I posted it on INAT and this one fellow on there is like, hey, that might be Appalachiensis. Did you take a collection? And I'm like, no. So I went back and got a collection the next day. So I'm pretty excited about that. That's where INAT, uh, it really comes in handy. There's a lot of experts on there that will always know something that you won't. Wow, very cool. Did uh, yeah, did you get the DNA sequencing back on it yet? I didn't send it out yet. I'm waiting. The MycoBlitz is done. The last day is this Sunday, so I'm gonna see what I find this weekend before I send out my submission. Mm. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Never know. I might find something really crazy this weekend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I know it, it's incredible. Like, um, yeah. Sometimes I'll be out in the woods, and it's like almost almost overwhelming the amount of mycological diversity that you find. Um, you know, um, yeah, even too, when I teach classes, it's like I tell people, I'm like, look, I know quite a few mushrooms, but I don't know everything. Yeah. If we don't know it, take a picture, upload it. We got to identify it. Um, but yeah, I always really admire people that just kind of like live with that 
database in their brain of like, oh, this is this, this is this. this. Um, so I think that's really cool. Uh, I kind of I kind of struggle with the, with the name sometimes, but I always find that like if I create like a um, like a relationship, a functional relationship with the, the fungi, meaning like if I cook it, if I uh, mm-hmm. make a extract out of it or teach someone about it, like I can remember it better. Yeah. You know, I but, definitely feel that. Yeah. But uh, I mean, yeah, I would have to like, you know, bring a notebook and write all the names down. And yeah, it's I, it could be a full time job. I mean, if someone paid me to do that, I would do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Some of us are just crazy enough to get out there and do it, man. Yeah. Yeah. But for real, um, building a relationship with a mushroom is a real thing. Yeah. Like it'll it'll talk to you and tell you all the identification features by itself. And I think a lot of people don't get that right away when it comes to going out and trying to forage for their first edible mushroom when people talk about building a relationship with that fungi yeah 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 you even just said um you know it'll talk to you do you ever feel like sometimes you find a mushroom and you don't know how you found it and you try to explain it to people and you're like i think it spoke to me i got a story for you (laughs) oh cool cool. (laughs) (laughs) um so i think it was it was last year i um i'm a contractor i do like hvac work mm-hmm. and i was leaving a job site and the job site was along a river and i saw this canoe launch and i'm still in work clothes you know covered in oil and grease or whatever and something i know called to me saying hey pull into this canoe launch and look for mushrooms um so i did and that is when i found my first psilocybe ovoidio cystidiata wow no, yep. I, I something in my head said, "Hey, pull in that launch and go check the riverbank." So I did, and it was wild because it wasn't even the typical season for them. It was in the fall, so I didn't find many, but I did find enough to be able to identify them. That's so cool. Yeah, um, and so yeah, those, definitely. <laughs> um, for the newbies listening right now, those would be categorized as um, magic mushrooms, right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, I think they call them river teachers as a common name. Mm, very cool. Yeah, um, yeah I, I do know that Pennsylvania is also very rich in uh, a lot of the, the good magic mushrooms too. Yeah. Um, but correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, sometimes some of the species are like kind of difficult to identify, and they could be they could look like other poisonous mushrooms. Would you say? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, especially if you're not somebody that goes out and identifies any mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you won't have those features in your head to look for when it would be when it would come to looking for one that could potentially be deadly, like the gallerina. Some people would get gallerina and a species of psilocybe confused because a lot of the times they're both small brown mushrooms growing out of wood chips. But the gallerina will have like a rust brown spore print and the ring on the stipe. And obviously the psilocybe will bruise blue most of the time and it'll have a purple brown spore print. So yeah, there's definitely some mushrooms you can get mixed up when you're looking for them. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. The interest in, intricacies are incredible. And um, yeah, it's so funny. Like every time I do teach a class, like, you know, it could be a 70 year old or it could be like a 25 year old. <laughs> Everybody wants to know about magic, magic mushrooms and like where to Everybody. find them. And I'm like, yeah. look, it's some, it's some advanced ident- identification. So like just find somebody that grows them, <laughs> you know, just That's find so a trusted grower. <laughs> um but yeah um cool um i'm glad we landed on this um topic ironically we um with every mushroom person we always do 
But uh, yeah, I saw on your Instagram the same mushroom, if I'm not mistaken, that you were just talking about. Um, you found a big patch of it on a school playground. Can you share so, that story? Yeah. So that was um, not my first time finding them. That was my third time finding them. Um, and those that was in even then that was kind of late in the year. That was this year, but not the spring season where you would typically find big patches of them. But um, anyway, we were on a family camping trip and my my parents got to the campground a day before us. And when I showed up the next day, my mom kept saying, hey, we found all these mushrooms in this playground. You got to come see them. Come tell us what they are. And I round the corner to this box of wood chips that they had, like the swing set or whatever. in, And it's just filled with ovoids. They were everywhere. And I just bend down and look at them and I see the bluing instantly. I'm like, do you guys know what these are? I'm like, do you know what you just found? This is so cool. <laughs> wow. And those oh. ones were definitely different too. Um, they, they had a lot thicker of a stipe. The caps were giant compared to the ones I found in the spring on the riverbank. They were really slender mushrooms. So I don't know if that could be a different species or not. That'd be kind of cool to find out, but I didn't save any for DNA. Yeah. <laughs> You ate them all. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> just teasing, just teasing. Um, cool. What do you? Yeah. Do you ever think about like what? What do you think nature is trying to say when they're, you know, uh, magic mushrooms are growing <laughs> on a school's uh, a kid's playground? That's kind of ironic, wouldn't you say? It, it is. I just want to know where they got the wood chips. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like did did those spores come in on the wood chips? Were they in? in that riverbank somewhere already and then they just kind of colonized the wood chips after they were put there like there's definitely an origin story uh it's kind of cool to think about yeah wow um yeah um it, it's it, yeah it just boggles my mind it's like you know something that should be so like restricted you know is like oh it's out on a kid's playground it just yeah. happens can't control yeah. it can't control nature um, and everybody was like don't let the kids touch them i'm like it's not gonna hurt them and like, <laughs> it's not gonna do anything to them as long as they don't eat them but there's definitely some mycophobia still floating around yeah um, yeah <laughs> yeah that's a good word mycophobia mm -hmm. um it, yeah it's so funny um yeah in our area there's like not a lot of people out foraging all the time but when i do like run into a forager like eight times out of 10, I'd say they're from Eastern Europe, Europe, because <laughs> uh, <okay. laughs> you know? they're like a very mycophilic society, right? They like, they love mushrooms. There's so much culture and yes. foraging them and they're not afraid and they kind of grew up with them. Right. And they're like, Oh yeah, this is, this is awesome. But like people in the, the Western world were always just like, Oh no. Yeah. Mulch um, them with the mower. One of those kind of things, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So crazy. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it, it's interesting too. basically every mushroom person that I end up talking to, there's always some, there's always some backstory with like psilocybin and, um, psychedelic mushrooms and kind of how that played a role in, um, you know, the journey of becoming a good forager and a citizen mycologist. And if you create a, a company that sells some sort of mushroom product, uh, mm -hmm. just curious, have you ever had, um, similar experience with it like that? No, um, I've never actually eaten any active mushrooms. So I, I don't have any stories there. I just study them. 
So I'm kind of a, a rare occurrence here. I just kind of went from foraging straight to this wormhole of taxonomy obsession. <laughs> wow. Very cool. Okay. Well, you're first. <laughs> um, yeah, it's crazy. I, I I could share just like a really quick story. Um, yeah, when I when I first started learning about mycology, um, I was reading so many books, especially I think the the book that really did it for me was Mycelium Running by Paul Stamets. Okay. And um, I was just like learning about all these different mushrooms, every fact that I could about learn about them. And then I ended up going on a trip to Seattle with a friend who was looking at a school there. And it was in September and like the height of mushroom season. And like all these mushrooms I was learning about were instantly in front of my face. And I was like, okay, I'm a mushroom person. 100%. <laughs> um, but then uh, a couple of years later, I went on a um a camping trip with some friends in Maine and that that was the first time that I um partook in in uh psilocybin mushrooms and um in that time in that gap between you know that that trip to Seattle and that camping trip I'd say like maybe a year and a half two years had passed and one mushroom that I was always looking for was chaga right but like no matter where I went what trails I went on just eluded me could never find it right so, um, yeah, me and my friends were camping on this island in Maine. It was so beautiful. Uh, we were in the campsite. And then we were there for a whole week, maybe around like day four or five. We went on our spiritual quest with the mushrooms. Uh, me and one of my best friends uh, came back. It was an incredible experience. I realized I was an antenna. Mushrooms were an antenna. And we were transmitting uh, information back and forth, right? Amazing. <laughs> very, very big story in a nutshell. But um I, um, when me and my friend got back to the campsite, um, I was like, Hey, I, you know, you know, let me cook us a meal over the fire tonight. Like, let's, let's do something special to like solidify this moment. So I was a boy scout. I went in and I built my teepee fire, you know, all the right, uh, different kinds of woods in, in, in a great progression. So burn correctly. I was like, Oh man, the only thing I need is some, like something papery to, to get it going. I was like, oh, yeah, there's all these birch trees around here. And we always used to use the birch bark to to start fires. So I like, you know, waddle over to this birch tree and I'm like, cool, I'm, I'm about to peel the bark. And then I just see this thing kind of sticking off the side of the base of it. And I was like, hmm, what's that? And I just reach my hand out to touch it. And then like the most perfect piece of chaga just breaks off of of this like damp birch tree. And I was just like, oh, my God. <laughs> I've been looking for this like for the past almost two years. And I was like, here it is. And then the craziest thing that happened is, is like I did a 360 view of the campsite and I realized we were in like a birch forest and there was so much chaga everywhere. Like I think to this day, I, you know, that was like the most chaga per square footage in an area that I ever found. And like, um, I was just so amazed how I was, I was there for three or four days and I just didn't oh, have wow. the eyes for it. And then it presented itself to you. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, that, that's, um, that's just one example of how like, um, uh, yeah, psilocybin can help push someone forward, you know, mentally, spiritually in areas of foraging. And, and ever since that moment, yeah, the chaga just comes. <laughs> it's, it's like, oh yeah, there's some chaga. Cool. <laughs> like, hey, I'm over here. I'm like, I know. I see you. Like I got plenty. Relax. <laughs> It's funny how once you find it once, you'll end up finding it everywhere. Yeah, yeah. It's true with a lot of things. 
yeah and um yeah curious too i always like to ask uh mushroom foragers um you know what percentage do you think um in successful mushroom foraging is there a percentage where it's like x amount of percent is um you know technical skills like you know learning all the facts about mushrooms and identification methods and then there's another percentage that you can maybe call like intuition and luck have you ever kind of thought about that you know yeah that's a really good way to put it too because i think about that a lot knowing the mushroom from your intuition um compared to knowing it from something you memorize um like even if it's just through touch i do that a lot if i can't see something fully and I bend down and pick it up. I could tell if it's like a mycena or some sort of hygrosity by the way it feels. And I kind of, that's how it works in my mind that blends together. If that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And yeah, would you even say like, for me, sometimes it's like, you know, you're looking out in the forest, there's an infinite number of routes you can take and go locations you can go to, but like, have you ever just like kind of felt there's something tugging you down this road? Oh, and you go every time and... it's every time <laughs> yeah um yeah i always i just think that's so cool it's one of the things that get really hung up on it's like um you know maybe your intuition is like a, a muscle and you just keep exercising it and it gets better and better and better yeah something's pulling you along the trail yeah for yeah, sure the other day with, with these oyster mushrooms it was just like i was walking you know out like away from my car found all this stuff and i was like cool and then on the way back i was like all right like ready to go but then i'm walking back to my car and all of a sudden just like it's like it's like intuitively mushrooms like hey i'm over here and i just like turn my head and i'm just like i think that tree is covered in oysters <laughs> i'm 99 sure and i go over and i was like oh, I don't oh, know. <laughs> do you I, I do um i smell them a lot like i'll smell like dryads before i see them or sometimes oysters if there's enough of them that have started to rot you know that like black mm. licorice smell so that's oh, another totally. thing too, the smell i smell dryad you know yeah i mean uh, um yeah i'm glad you brought that up i mean um you know quick thing I, I used to work for like an essential oil company when i lived out in california and it was okay. like when there was nobody in the store i would just like smell each one and i would just kind of like imprint the aroma into my brain and stuff like that and then when i go out in nature it was like some of those things I would smell like, um, like cedar essential oil, like you, you can just like pick up those, the scents in nature. But where I'm kind of going with this is like smell is like another dimension to nature that, you know, a lot of, I think modern humans have lost. Wouldn't you say? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, like, um, sorry, I think I'm a lunatic that's out on the trails that it's smelling for mushrooms, at least actively, or maybe even, you know, just passively. Oh yeah. There's pheasants back <laughs> oysters you know i don't <laughs> sure it is a whole nother dimension <laughs> yeah yeah no I, i'm with you i'm like walking through i'm like oh yeah i'm like that's that's the smell i know they're around <laughs> here somewhere or even just in general like that i don't know how would you describe it slight mildewy earthy rubbery smell in the air You're like yeah that's funny mm -hmm. <laughs> well that's why i love dryad so much that um because of that watermelon rind smell i love that smell Mm. so i always you know keep a nose up for that during um during morel season in the springtime yeah wow yeah and even um the uh smell is is a like a, a point of identification for some mushrooms too like uh there's some species of agaricus right if they have like a slightly almond smell yeah 
that's an uh, indicator, right? That's an indicator. Um, I can't remember what the species is, but there's a bolete that's called the curry bolete that'll smell like curry. Um, there's some mycena that'll smell like bleach. Um, yeah, there's all sorts of different mushrooms that have specific smells that could help as an identification characteristic for sure. Yeah, yeah. And another good one too, I like is uh, Matsutake. It smells like uh, those like cinnamon candies. What are those called? Red Hots or something? Heard that, but I've <laughs> never found Matsutake. Yeah, I was I was with a friend in um yeah Northern California and um yeah found all these like good mushrooms growing on the ground and I didn't really know much about culinary mushrooms at the time. Gotcha. I just started picking these mushrooms out of the ground. He's like, oh, smell these. Oh, red hot. Yeah, this is Matsutake and really? yeah, it was really cool. Yeah. But I, I thought I, they smelled like socks. <laughs> socks, wow. <laughs> um, but I, I yeah, someone told me we do get them out here, but I have I haven't found them as of yet. I've heard um, that. I've never seen them. Cool. I, I kind of want to pick your brain a little bit about bolites because um yeah, I feel like there's so bolites is maybe for me a mushroom where it's like they they're they all kind of look similar and I'm not sure which ones are edible in this region. Um mm. So curious if you have any experience with like some edible beliefs. What are they? How would you identify them? Can you maybe jump into that a little bit? Man, I wish I could help you out there, but beliefs are not my forte. <laughs> they, you're right. They all look so similar to me. Some may may bruise blue faster than others, and that's how you could tell a species apart. Um, some grow with specific trees. The reticulation might be a certain color compared to another species. I mean. They, they're one that I haven't got to do the deep dive into yet. Um, right now, I'm still obsessing over like some uh, species of anosophy or things that are in the anosophy family. So I'll, I'll kind of do that, like jump families and kind of hyper-focus on them for a while. Uh, bird's nest fungus is one I did the other month. Those are pretty cool. Uh, cordyceps. But I went down the rabbit hole of Ascomycota in general when I was learning about cordyceps because I was real interested in um, the way they reproduce um but yeah i'm sorry i really can't <laughs> i really can't help you with beliefs no it's okay yeah no i think i'm going to start a support group on facebook being like um start newbie, newbie belite support group help me now please right <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean that that's a great example of of you know just one what would you call it, genus of mushrooms that's so diverse and it's like the you know identification work has to be so intricate to to make sure um, that you know what it is that they have. Um, so I think that's really cool. Um, a lot of them are so similar. Yeah. Question. Um, whenever Cordyceps comes up in conversation, do people always talk about the, the HBO show, The Last of Us? <laughs> I haven't ran into that, thankfully, yet. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it's so funny. Um, you know, during the summer, we try to do as many events in person as we can. So, like, we, we'll, we'll go to different events, set up a booth, um, have information, sell our mushroom extracts, yada, yada. Um, and so many people that know about cordyceps are always like, oh, it's like that HBO show, The Last of Us. Like, they're like, <laughs> oh, no, I, I'm not going to get that one. I can't, I can't. And I'm like, no, 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 don't worry. Like, they can't, they can't infect humans, but um, everyone just calls <laughs> it the zombie mushroom, right? So, um, yeah, you, you've been mentioning that um, you've been finding some cordyceps. Would you want to share? tips on where to find them how to identify them what yeah, your experience um, has been with them so we found our first cordyceps militaris i think three years ago now 
And the best place that I can tell you to look if you're trying to find cordyceps, I guess of any uh, any species of cordyceps, would be um, close to a water source or maybe in a riparian zone. Um, look for moss patches. A lot of the time we'll find them coming right out of the moss or uh, duff, like pine needles, or a lot of uh, the ones I found this year were in uh, mountain laurel leaf duff kind of like the build up at the very bottom of the floor they're coming right out of that um but somewhere close to a water source deep valleys you know i'll find them on hillsides growing what looks to be like out of a rock but they're just on a clump of dirt that's on the rock they'll grow anywhere where that larva is and the spores have been exposed you know um but yeah definitely close to a water source yeah it's so cool yeah i remember when i found my first one i was like you know what like mushroom foraging kind of is it's it's kind of like pokemon right oh, did yeah. you play when you were a kid absolutely <laughs> and you're like you're playing on the game boy and you're like walking through like the digital grass and then you just keep doing it for like hours because it's like there's like an <laughs> algorithm it's like okay like every 99 time every 99th time a pokemon comes up it's going to be that super rare one that you're looking for like yes that's that's mushroom foraging right let's be real yep. um <laughs> but um yeah i was i was going on a hike um somewhere with some family and friends and i just saw this like little like orange finger sticking out of the ground and i was like oh yeah like it's probably a clavinopsis you know because i was gonna say before like we get a lot of clavinopsis by me but i'm always like finding it like disappointed i'm like oh yeah it's just that one it's not cordyceps right mm -hmm. but this this uh, this one time it was it was i saw this little finger sticking out of the ground i was like oh man so i i, I just like kind of started like digging with my little finger like around the mushroom area and i'm like hmm i can't find the end to this and i just keep digging and digging it keeps going and then eventually i'm able to pull out of the ground and there's just like this nice like little grub attached to it i'm like oh <laughs> my god i'm Isn't like the coolest feeling <laughs> yeah i'm just like how I, I like this is like winning the lottery i mean mm -hmm. you're finding a first mushroom is always like like that right you're like oh man and then it gets easier from there right um mm -hmm. But yeah, it was so cool. I was like, this this is like such a fascinating mushroom. And like, um, especially the medicinal mushroom world, I feel like there's so much talk about the health benefits of all these different mushrooms, like whether it's cordyceps, reishi, lion's mane, right? And the focus is yeah. always on like how to how to take from this mushroom as much as you can. But like when you actually go and like find it, you know, existing mm -hmm. in a sovereign environment, it's like, wow, like this this is incredible. And like your approach my approach wasn't like oh how do i extract this is like no how do i like learn about this like how do I, I can i identify which you know species it is and how can i share with so many people like what can we do with it and it, it was just a new new experience mm -hmm. and i feel like they're the best ones to the first of something and then you're at least me i get super obsessed over it and i want to learn everything about it and with cordyceps i I want to learn about the reproduction because ascomycetes are so they're so strange. I guess basidiomycetes can reproduce asexually too, but I I hear a lot more about ascos, so I, I that's where I dove into when it um, came to cordyceps. Cool. I wanted to know like how where it was produced, how they get into the bug. That was like the coolest part. So, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, that's so cool. So like so. <clears throat> basically like that you know little thing that's sticking out of the ground that's the fruiting body right and then at some point it releases spores right so it's kind of it's kind of strange the 
the orange part of the finger that you're seeing is called a stroma. So that technically isn't the fruiting body if you want to get, you know, really weird about it. But at the at the end on the club-shaped part, you'll see little red dots, and those are called parathesia. And inside the parathesia is where you'll find the ASCII. So technically, I guess you could say the parathesia is the fruiting body of cordyceps. Wow, mind blown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, cool. Yeah, I didn't even know that. Wow. So yeah. um, so in that area, that's the, the part that contains the spores, yep. right? And basically, these spores are going out go out into the air they're circulating around and maybe they land somewhere and like a bug or a grub or something just stumbles upon it unfortunately and they're infected and their their destiny is to become a a zombie mushroom (laughs) yeah they're goners man and i guess i have to learn more about that part of it i think a lot of uh cordyceps may be host specific too so they'll only grow on specific hosts, um, like Vera, I think it's called Varabilis, uh, grows on like fly larva and Corseps militaris, I think can grow on like hawk moth larva, um, a bunch of different kind of hornworms and things like that. So some some insects may be safe, but if you're that one type, maybe you're you're a goner. Yeah, wow. <laughs> Isn't that wild? Yeah, yeah. And How did I, they choose that, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I always wonder. Yeah, maybe it's like uh, to control that population of of yeah moth, right? Um, I know maybe I've heard part of that that checks yeah. and system. I've heard people talk before about how like chaga, right? It's a parasitic mushroom or fungi mm-hmm. fungus rather. Mm-hmm. Um, how yeah, they infect birch trees primarily, and how they do that to control the population of of birch trees in a forest. Oh, okay yeah That's um, uh-huh. yeah I, I can't remember this was like years ago i don't know if it was paul stamets talking about it or somebody else but they were saying like how when a forest kind of reaches its climax and it can't support you know further progressions of, of growth yeah mushroom like parasitic mushrooms like chaga kind of show up to kind of kill those trees off over time and have them turn back into soil and kind of mm. you know so it, so it can bolster the, the the rest of the the growth yeah i never thought of it like that yeah, Not I wonder, yeah yeah i wonder i wonder how you we could do like more control studies on that in the future or like i feel like that's what people are kind of like trying to focus on now is like okay nature does some really cool things how do we exp- how do we understand what's the mechanisms behind it and why it does that and yeah and i think it's really cool um and um, I think on NPR recently, I did hear um, that. Oh, this this is cool. You, you, you probably maybe maybe for this, maybe not. But this is a cool story. Um, they on NPR were talking. There was a, a biologist and a mycologist kind of talking about how the mycelium transports uh, uh, nutrients from tree to tree. Right. So, you know, you have tree one and tree two underneath the soil there's their root systems and their root systems are connected to each other via the mycelial networks. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, if tree one is growing on top of a hill and tree two is growing at the bottom of a hill, it's like, well, tree one has more access to the canopy to the open canopy. So it can photosynthesize much better than tree two, but tree two has more water because it's at a bottom of a hill where there's more water runoff. So it's like via the mycelium, you know, 
uh, tree two is giving tree one more water and tree one is giving more sugars to tree two. And they're both kind of living in cooperation and and yeah. uh, existing together. Yeah. And I heard that so many times, people talking about that, but I was like, well, that, that sounds really cool in theory. I wonder if there's any science behind it. And um, there was uh, someone who did a study where they were in, infecting two different, um, I, they had trees grown in, I don't know if in, they were in pots, but it was a controlled environment. And they, uh, in one tree, they kind of injected um, like a radioactive isotope or something like that into the tree that they could trace. Okay. And then they connected the two trees via mycelium. And then, yeah, it was like, then they found that same radioactive isotope in the tree that didn't receive it. So they were showing that, yeah, these trees are are um, trading nutrients via the mycelium. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, that is really cool. That is really cool. So um, that exchange, you know, that thing that we're lacking. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know. Um, yeah, it'd be so much easier if people just like want to make yogurt and give it to me and I'll just give them like chaga extract. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's that that fair exchange. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, very cool. Um, yeah, another this is kind of like a silly question, but um I like to ask this to people a lot. Um, so chicken of the woods, right? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, what do you think about it? I like Cincinnatus more than sulfurous because I think it tastes so much better. Oh, cool. So to explain that, uh, the Cincinnatus is the one that grows out of the ground, right? And then yeah, the chicken is growing the... in a rosette and it has a white pore surface instead of the yellow. Yeah. And cool, cool, cool. And then the uh sul sul uh sulfuricus grows on yeah, dead wood and it's like a fan shape. Anyway, yeah. um yeah, it's so funny. Like, um, people are always talking about chicken of the woods, and I'm like, yeah, I know. Like, it looks so cool. I love finding it. Like, love it. It's so beautiful just to like look at. But like, I will say, after eating like morels, after eating black trumpets, after eating chanterelles, I'm like, hmm, you know what? I, I love it, but it's I. I really won't go crazy for it. Like, I'll maybe I'll just like pick one, like you know piece of it and like throw it into something but like i really can't eat a ton of it it's kind of doesn't have a lot of flavor to me yeah so i was, I was just wondering if you kind of thought the same or if i'm wrong and i'm just being oh no you're you're definitely right um when it comes to sulfurous um anyway the sulfurous is i don't know um just smelling it before i cook it that the raw smell that it has is so musty to me mm-hmm. and i think that translates like right into the flavor of it but when it comes to cincinnatus i it doesn't have that smell. It's always a real fresh, um, well, if you find it in time, uh, a fresh tasting mushroom. And it goes really good with bread, breading and frying. It's just like chicken nuggets at that point. Um, yeah, definitely Cincinnatus. I that's I get excited when I find Cincinnatus. If I see sulfurous, I'm like, eh, can I fit it? If not, no big deal. <laughs> One of those kind of things. Cool. cool. Well, I'm, I'm glad we're on the same page there. Yeah, you're not alone, um... man. <laughs> But I will say, like, if you find it when it's like really young, where it's almost like rubbery still, yeah, that's good. That it it has more flavor, less mustiness to it. Um, yeah, for that's, sure. That's a real treat. But I feel like only like once or twice I really found it in that good stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. 
it's just Very like cool. um, with hen uh, uh, if it gets past a certain point I won't even pick it because of the it's a texture thing for me with with hen the poor surface on the underside gets too sandpapery feeling in my mm. mouth if that makes sense so I try to get that real young too but that the taste of Griffola Frondosa is just you know it's unmatched. I love that. That's probably one of my favorites. Oh yeah. I'll eat the I'll eat it rotten. I don't care. I'm just like give it to me. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we got a lot of that in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Um, very cool. Yeah, awesome. Um, so I think we're gearing towards the end of this episode a little bit, but I kind of do um just wanna pick your brain a little bit. Um, I know you've kind of referred to yourself as as a citizen mycologist i definitely resonate with that um that label as well but um just kind of curious besides the the mycoblitz and working on some like dna stuff like you know as you like kind of grow your audience more on like social media and and other channels like what are some projects you kind of hope to do or if you're already doing already just kind of like what's what's on the docket for the future with mind over mycology yeah, so I've been working on a couple of different presentations um, on mushroom photography, and I want to try to do kind of like a beginner's course to um, foraging or maybe the study of uh, mycology in general. And I want to start giving presentations, trying to get a hold of like state parks or something like that, that I could host like a small gathering at and give the presentation and maybe go on a mushroom walk. Um, that's what I've been working on. Other than collecting, I've been learning proper collection tactics to preserve the mushrooms that I save and to document them properly so that in the case that I'll ever sequence them when something like the mycoblitz isn't going on, that I'll be able to do that. Just like in the case of somebody getting on INAT and saying, oh, this might be something cool. Maybe we should sequence it. I want to be able to have that. So I'm working on getting my INAT observations to all correspond with a dry specimen and with uh, proper notes on the specimen. So that's a lot of work. So yeah, yeah. presenting and working on that. Um, I want to get shirts made sometime soon. I want to be able to make something off of all this hard work that I'm putting into to maybe like push the work forward and maybe be able to set up my own DNA lab sometime soon. I got um, a hold of, uh, I talked to Kyle Cannon and Steven Russell uh, John Plischke at Myco, MycoFest this year, and we were talking about learning to barcode, and I think Kyle's having a workshop that's coming up soon, so I really want to learn that side of it and maybe be able to do it here, since there's really nobody close to us that that does it. I think that'd be really cool, too. Wow, yeah, that's really awesome. Um, yeah, I know, yeah, there's, I know a couple off the top of my head of, like, different people and organizations you can send, um, you know, mushrooms out to get sequenced and things like that, but to be able to kind of do it, you know, out of your own lab or something like that, that's, yeah. that's really cool. Um, I want to be able to do it out of the trunk of my car. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> that's the goal. That's the end goal. If we get there, we made it. <laughs> yeah. Right on. Oh, that's so cool. Um, But yeah, that, that, yeah. Just hearing you say that, that's a huge endeavor. I mean, yeah, the amount of, of intricate work uh, required is, is so, is so, crazy and I, I commend you for it because like me like you know like i'm a good forager because i'm like i just it's like jamming you know it's like if you're in a mm-hmm. jazz band you're just like improving you're just going out like just feeling it but like you know I, I i've never been like a good like very structured learner or like you know i did fine in school but like 
mm-hmm. taking notes and like studying things. I'm like, uh, I feel a little confined, but I always admire people that can really do that. So I, I think that's really cool that you're, um, that you're taking that on. And um, yeah, for the yeah. future, you know, um, don't hesitate to reach out if we can help in any way, um, you know, in, in any area. So cool, Devin. Um, it's been an honor uh, talking to you and um, thanks for geeking out with me about mycology. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I hope we, we can do it again soon. For sure. Cool. And uh, yeah, I'll be, I'll be sure to include some links in the show notes of uh, where people can find you. Um, definitely. I'd say the first one is on Instagram, right? At it's at uh, mind over mycology. That's correct. Cool. Yeah, head over there and check Devin's photography out. Um, Your mind will be blown, for sure. (laughs) Thanks, man. Cool. All right, Devin, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Until next time. All right, brother. All right, guys. There it is. Devin Hilty from Mind Over Mycology. Definitely check him out on Instagram at Mind Over Mycology. And uh, we'll be back in another two weeks with a very special episode with... Saren Holly, who's going to talk to us all about Celtic mysticism, folklore, and spirituality. We might even delve into the world of wild foods and wild traditions. So it's going to be a really great show. Um, if you enjoyed today's show and any other episode that you've heard, please leave us a rating and review on whichever platform you listen to us on. That helps us grow the show. And I hope everyone is having a great fall foraging season. And I look forward to catching you guys next time.